it's weird. Zoom is not installed on this machine per se. Like I had to hit the Zoom link and it did an in-browser yeah. install. That's so right. strange. Well, remember we got told to uninstall Zoom when WebEx came. It's like you won't be needing this anymore. Uh, yeah, you won't be needing this service that works anymore. Marconi's telephone? I don't think so. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Other way around. Alexander Graham Bell had the telephone. Marconi, Marconi did the radio. The, the radio. Uh, didn't he do something else, though, that was like the wireless telegraph or some shit? Marconi did the mamba, listen to the radio. Anybody? That must be something from the early 20s. <laughs> <laughs> Frick off! A starship! We built this city on rock and roll. Oh, yuck, even worse. <laughs> Today on the Geek Out Podcast, a great documentary about much music just came out, but a cease and desist might keep you from seeing it. Jackie Chan and Ralph Macchio are going to be in the next Karate Kid movie, proving that I'm a psychic. Mrs. Doubtfire used two million feet of film because Robin Williams couldn't stop improvising. Tim Burton says that Nightmare Before Christmas is too important and personal for a sequel or a reboot. But a Spinal Tap sequel will be filming with special guests Paul McCartney and Elton John. Bud, read it right. Shut up. <laughs> I didn't even know I was going to be reading that line. It's great, though. It's, you never read the last line. No, I so don't. It's, it's wonderful. It's good for you to bookend on Bud's podcast. Stop it. <laughs> Nerdy is the new sexy. It's good to be a the Zones Geek Out, the podcast. It's the Zones Geek Out podcast. This is episode 267. We record this on the morning of Wednesday, November 29th, 2023. Time is weird. I am Webmeister Bud. I host Bud's Weekly Geek Out Wednesdays at 720 with Dylan and Jason in the morning zone. I'm DJ Boytano. I'm kind of all over the place this week uh, and uh, also not any place actually for the rest of this week because wow. I've taken the rest of the week off. I should have uh, done that. And I'm going to be doing a DJ show. So I don't precede or antecede or <laughs> proceed <laughs> or follow <laughs> anyone <laughs> right now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> We had a fun couple of days, though, uh, horsing around on the morning show. That was nice. Yeah, that was fun. That it, was very fun. That was very fun. Oh, my God. Yesterday we did a show. It was Giving Tuesday. I didn't do anything else. We shouted out charities all day long. I thought I was like, we didn't do anything else. It was so boring. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. Uh, but, no, it's really good to shout out charities. And I'm Paul Blastino. And Rip Kirsten James and Art Aronson. Yeah, we haven't heard week. really from – no, did Art write one thing – in our group chat, like I haven't he, seen anything from him. I know. What the, the it's heck? Weird. I want to know about his trip to Thailand. Absolutely, Brian. Oh, sorry. I was I, I raised my hand because I was going to try to say something off the pod, but then I realized, oh wait, we have a chat in this Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> now Great. that I've made it public, I'm going to say um, everybody but, needs to know now. Yes. Yeah. So can you uh, do the right arrow beside the mute and select the board? Because I'm hearing you guys through the um, oh shoot the webcam. Yeah, oh, right, right. Uh, how is that sound for Ooh, you? Wow, Ooh, that that's much good. improved. And okay. now I'm going to be able to hear whenever the thing chimes. And I can go, Bud, don't! It's not me. Good, excellent, excellent. Um, yes. And uh, hey, has anyone noticed my mustache? No one has said anything. Kirsten said something. I put a video on Instagram yesterday, and she her response was. Not about the content of the video whatsoever. It was, what's with this mustache? 
<laughs> it is November 29th. Are you Movembering? I mean, it, it looks a little detached from the rest of the right. facial hair. There's a little bit of scrap there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think I start, I always, for a while there I did Movember, and then I got sick of looking back at all my nice birthday pictures and seeing me with the oh. worst mustache. Right, of course, because that's right. mid-Movember. Yeah, well, it's like, <laughs> yeah, my birthday is November 11th, so if you have to start from a clean shaven on November 1st, by the 11th, you know, it's, I didn't it use... like scruff. It's so bad, yeah, and I, yeah. I didn't generally have a very bushy mustache even at the time, so... I just got sick of looking like that in pictures. So I was like, I'm not doing November anymore. And then this year, it wasn't strictly by the rules or anything, but I had a good base. And so I just let it bush out and uh, kept shaving the rest. And um, pretty happy with it, actually. Pretty happy with the mustache. It's it's pretty full and luxuriant, I would say. Mustaches are such a weird thing. This is like, my dad had a mustache. And if you look at pictures of people from the 70s and 80s, all these guys were just rocking full-on Mustaches. What were they trying to be like? Tom Selleck or something? It was just the fashion of the time, I'm sure. And then, so, so like, obviously, all growing up, like, you would never have a mustache. In fact, I am so hideously embarrassed of pictures of myself in my like early twenties, where the the style was shave the mustache completely. And just leave like a chin strap of beard if you could get it. <laughs> so bad. I'm it like, seems so strange. It's so so stupid. And then now, like dudes, all are rocking mustaches. Like young, cool hipster dudes. Everything, everything old is new again. Yeah, it looks better. I still don't think it's a good look. <clears throat> but anyways, um, sorry. And I'm talking to two guys who never have facial hair. So hey, Brian, remember that Movember we both did? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the last time I shaved my mustache off was that Movember. Yep, that stands to reason. That <laughs> Do you guys not right. shave? Not really. Uh, well, I have like I have um, one of those electric kind of shavers Be- just to get the stubble off, but yeah. then nothing really grows until a full-on mustache or beard on my face. It uh, it's just like long coarse stringies fine looking hairs yeah so that's very i don't have to shave i could tweeze (laughs) (laughs) yeah if i really want to get down and dirty it's really but yeah it like it it does turn into stubble but nothing more than stubble so i just have like one of those electric shavers that and then i'm done oh my god but you shave bud i razor shave i'm only half uh chinese so every two days i must uh, or I'll just be like Velcro. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So but yeah, good. that one time I did try and grow out a mustache. Yeah, it was like stubble, stubble, wispy nothingness. It was very strange. Yeah. It was it very like strange. Yeah. Yeah. On a cat. Yeah. yeah. I know. I, I can't really trace my facial hair back to any certain ethnicity or not because I'm kind of mixed as well. But um, <laughs> I just, I don't know. But finally, I do, I do have the, it took me until I'm almost 40 years old. I'm 39 now. And I never had, I could never get the real Super Mario bushy Italian mustache. But now, finally, I can do it. It's like, a, it, it looks almost fake. It's so like well-proportionedly wow, full. Wow, really? Yeah. No, absolutely wow, that's so nice. Yeah. Wow, that's really great. Thank you for that nice compliment. This morning in the shower, I was having a moment where I, I don't know, I was just like not having good self-esteem or something, but I was like, I don't know if I'm better looking than Quint from Jaws. Am I Oh. Am I better or look worse? Am I more? Is that a normal less? comparison? Is that yeah. do you come up with that often? I, I, yeah, just, I, that, like, where did that come from? Of all the, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, anybody under thirty is just like your your sound effect. 
Yeah. Oh, oh, come on. Everybody under 30, watch watch Jaws. Watch it every summer for the rest of your life. It's one of the greatest movies. And then text in and let Paul know if he looks like Quint. <laughs> yeah. We're going to do like a hot or not um, comparison yeah. and just like, we'll just have that scene at the end, uh, spoilers, where he's getting eaten and there's a bunch of blood all out of his mouth. He's getting eaten by a shark. Am I better or worse looking than this man? <laughs> Because uh, it's like perfect. He's a he's a you know he's like in that movie. He's like this grizzled old sailor. He's not supposed to be good looking, but he's still a movie star. It's a weird comparison, right? Yes, uh, yes, it is. But I, but that's unfortunately where the bar is for me right now. I used to be like <laughs> better or worse than Clooney. Am I well, how am I, how am I Clooneying? Now it's like <laughs> Quint from Jaws. Yeah, that's um that is something else. Dude, Anyways, I gotta say, wow! Sorry to absolutely derail. Bad preamble. Let's move on. We've got full cue sheet and not much time to get to it. This week on <laughs> Bud's Weekly Geek Out, I went and saw Two Nine Nine Queen Street West. This is the documentary on basically the heyday, basically the first twenty years of Much Music, the nation's music station, the Canadian. Uh, version of MTV, which I felt sort of uh, sailed past it in in many ways. Uh, MTV launched in three years before Much Music, which launched in 1984. And also born in 1984 was this guy named Sean Menard, who, uh, although he was born at the exact same time as Much Music and seems super young, made this documentary, and it took him six years of digging through the archives in the basement of 299 Queen Street West. Well, he's born in 84, you said, right? Yeah. So, same age as me. We're old, grizzled Quint from Jaws. I, so It's not, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, he's not that young. I mean, we look young. Sometimes we are feel young and cool, but I guess we're not. So, hang on. I heard you actually um, on the morning show this morning talking about this. Yeah. And I know we've talked about this a hundred times on this podcast, but for some reason it twigged for me this morning, the name Sean Menard. Do we know him from other things? He he's done other things, right? Like he is an indie filmmaker. Okay, um, but like, has he done something that we would have known? I am not sure. The thing, like the Carter effect, I think is the is the only thing of his that huh. is. It, like I won't say notable. It's, it, it's brought out in other press articles about him. Like Sean Menard, director of the Carter Effect, has done this thing. But maybe that's just because it's mo- his most recent documentary that uh, it's on Netflix and it. Yeah, uh, that's like the one Tiff. on Vince Carter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the, the basketball. Oh, so player. you know him? Okay, sure. He's done. Well, uh, I mean, I've seen the Carter Effect, but I, I don't. I didn't really specifically know him. Oh well, there you go. Um, but yeah, sports movies. So that's who he is. Okay, well, great. And then he's friends with somebody, Rick the Temp? Uh, Rick Campanelli. Yeah, Rick he Campanelli. lived. He, he grew up not far from him. He grew up in uh, Hamilton, and Rick Campanelli grew up in St. Catharines. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So he made a stunning documentary. I absolutely loved it. And as much of a, you know, much music nerd as I was, I learned so much, because obviously you can't watch all of it and know all of the things. Mm-hmm. And it was... So well-timed, sparse music, but really impactful when it was there. And then he just got interviews from all sorts of people behind the scenes and in front of the camera. Uh, Michael Williams and Erica M. and uh, Steve Anthony, Denise Donlan. And very interestingly, didn't put any of them on camera in 2023. Wanted it. He, he was very conscious of that he wanted it to be a, a slice of uh, in time. And he didn't want to jerk you away from the nostalgia. Hmm. So uh, it was really, really well done. And then, so this they, they premiered this at the Royal Theater. It, it was a 13-city tour, and we were City 12 of 13. And then at the end, 
Sitting in the audience was Erica M. and Monica Diol and Rick Campanelli and Michael Williams. And then they all came up for an intimate and interactive at the end of the uh, of the screening. And it was really, really cool. Oh, God damn, am I so pissed that I missed this. I'm sorry I didn't. I wasn't yeah. louder about it. I kind of forgot and last minute just grabbed my tickets and went. Oh, God. It completely left my mind, too. And I, when I saw your picture of it, uh, of, of everybody on stage, and then the fact that it was just even here in Victoria, yes. I was so mad at myself. Yes. And it, it also, I'm, I think I'm even more mad knowing what or hearing what you said this morning in terms about how difficult it's going to be to get this thing on streaming. Yeah, so it's supposed to be on Crave in December. But, uh, you know, and I didn't say it on the radio. I will say it here. Universal, uh, our beloved music label, is going oh, after Oh, hi, this, Ryan Shep. Right? <laughs> who listens to this podcast. I'm sorry. Let's talk about your label, shall it's we? It's not him. He's not. Yeah, but, no. Um, so, yeah, Universal. <laughs> and Sean hinted at maybe one or two other labels uh, that are coming after him for music licensing. Sure. Um, you know, and it, it's hard It's hard to say, like, it's, I suppose, for the courts to decide whether or not, because this is a documentary because the music clips that are used in there are, you know, promoting of the artist. Maybe it is fair use or in Canada as we have fair dealing. No. No. I, well, see, okay, this is, <laughs> yeah, okay. This I is the thing. On this. Uh, where, so I, I, and I agree, because like, Dylan had said something this morning about, oh, well, geez, geez he's doing a documentary on um, a music channel that, really helps build a lot of these labels out right mm-hmm. and, and helps you know help these labels kind of or their artists gain notoriety and make them a lot of money that, that argument said, never is anything though that's I mean, like that's that's, nope, exactly. that's a nice thing but that's probably not the letter of the law it's very right, nice exactly. but that being said like look i even like my my final project in school was to make a documentary i made a documentary and to try to get any sort of notable music in the production process of that documentary that I was making ah. was like pulling teeth because you'd have to get written consent from the artist, from the label, from the management, Ugh. all yeah. that that entire thing. So if the director didn't do any of that legwork beforehand and just put this music in, obviously you understand the position of the labels. Yeah. Uh, you know, so... That that sucks though. That to to hear that that's you know what's going on and that's the reason why we can't kind of you know stream this on Crave and live that nostalgia. Yeah, and and it even sucks. It sucks even more that then you know because of that I, I sort of slept on this uh, no, this no. thing and missed out on it <laughs> yeah. when it came to town. Oh, it would be such so. a bummer if it just if that's what it did. Thirteen Canadian cities and then no one else ever saw it again. And that's it. Yeah, especially yeah. because I heard you mention as well that this director mortgaged his house. Yeah. <laughs> his 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 wife was running the merch table. Like it was very it was very sweet. Um, yeah. what he did say was uh, that so the basement archives are again full of everything that they ever stored on magnetic tape and magnetic tape yeah. has a literal shelf life because of something what's something that's called print through the the tape is spooled upon itself and it's magnet magnet uh, magnetized signals on the tape right but by being so compressed and close to each other and not really moving or doing anything eventually that stuff will print through above and below and degrade the tapes mm. and so what happened to led zeppelin exactly a yeah whole, a whole lot of love you're not supposed to hear oh, that God. that bit beforehand, but that yeah. was the print through of the tape. So, wow, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah. It's, it's really cool. That's the best like, example you hear that of print song, through. Because like, and then they heard that. So like the band heard the print through. Yeah. 
and they're like, that actually sounds pretty rad. Let's keep it. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like, it's a little bit offbeat, the, the, the echo of yes. way down inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it still sounds super psychedelic. Yeah. Right? Oh, so God, yeah, yeah. That. But yeah. enough of that, and especially on video, and you're just going to lose your proper signal. So uh, Bell, who now, who bought out Chum and Much Music and all that stuff, they, because of the success of the tour, they have agreed to put up the money to digitize the rest of the footage. So at the very least, those archives will be saved in their raw form. But I want this documentary. I want yeah. everyone who had any experience with much, much music to see this documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, me too. I, you know, and you say it as part of your little re- half a review there that the music is so impactful when it's used. Yeah. But if the sad reality of it is that for streaming, they just pull that music out... And whether it's like absolute silence or they used free licensing music or like... Podcasts do this all the time. You know, like uh, podcasts that air on the radio that have the their rights and everything that can play a clip of music or a mm-hmm. little bit or whatnot. And then, the, but when it's repackaged uh, for... Sorry, when they play it on the radio, they can play the songs. Yes. But when it's repackaged for a podcast, they just pull it. Yeah, they pull it or they play less of it. Yep. Yeah. Um, so... So yeah, it's interesting. It's very interesting um, that I hope we just get to see this thing, that it goes on Crave mm-hmm. and we'd get to. Um, it rem- reminds me of uh, WKRP in Cincinnati, the uh, the old TV show. Yeah. yeah. That thing languished for years in hell because they could not put it on a DVD, right? Right. right? In the like big boom of you know shows getting put out on DVD and getting right. rediscovered. And you know, uh, WKRP was a long, lone holdout because I guess originally, I don't know, I wasn't around when they were putting those on TV, but they had the music, like real music, pop music yeah. Yeah. right? Real yeah. rock music was on the show. And uh, so, so I, I've only watched it on DVD, so I've only ever seen it with just like. It's quiet. Oh, it's that's kind of a wild. It's oh, like, I don't know that experience. That's crazy. It's like it's very generic music, which to me sounds fine because like most shows these days cannot afford to put a Led Zeppelin song, right? Like, exactly. There's always exactly. jokes about like, oh, don't sing that song. We can't afford it. Whatever. Right. Yeah. We don't have the money to license it. Expensive yeah. musical cues, right? Huh. And, but back then, I guess they just threw it all, everything all in there. So to me, it like doesn't bump me too hard, but I guess the experience was that much better when it was really on TV and the real music was in there incredible that's wild that's my dream for this much music is that you got the pure and good version bud but at least we'll get a lesser or crummy bastardized version to at least see all the interviews and the footage but if you get it in any form that would be so good because and you know again we've talked about this thing before but it is really cool that channel in its heyday and it's surprising to me too that you said it was a it's heyday lasted 20 years yeah 20, 20, I mean, 23-ish, you know, just because the whole advent of reality television and, and stuff, that was a pretty slow wave. Yes. And then it, but much music hung on to their, their sort of core programming for a long time. So which were the 20 years? You said launched in 84, but there's yeah. no way it, was, it hit the ground running that hot. So no, was, probably like 87. Oh, okay. That's no, really, no, 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 85, 86, yeah, anyway, somewhere around there. Okay, so late yeah. 80s yeah. for 20, yeah, okay, yeah. and then certainly through my teenagehood, you know, it was like, I would just put that thing on for hours and yes. hours and hours. Yes, And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it's, you know, and Dylan made the point this morning, and it's smart, and it's true, it's just like, it is shocking that there isn't more done 
with music videos on TV these days. Truly, the, the, truly. You know, like there isn't a Tarzan Dan hit list on. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, is that someone else isn't hosting something like that? Because, and even on YouTube nowadays, there are music videos. Like, don't get me wrong, people go to music videos. But I guess they're really expensive, and it's maybe a lot of times not really worth the uh, the return. But they're still making the videos, right? Because they are still promotional tools. They're just not getting the exposure that they once were. Well, what I feel like is a weird thing happening is that um, I see a lot of visualizers, right? So I guess it's a lot cheaper to just make some... Oh, by... So, so much cheaper just to do like a lyric video or something. Uh, li- yeah, yeah, lyric video or something. Yeah, and then and then you've got something that's on YouTube. You've got something that you know plays in streaming channels because so many people just go to YouTube. To YouTube for music discovery to music. is massive. Yeah, right. So I feel like that's an interesting thing that's going on right now too. Yeah. But once again, like in a world of ten million TV channels and and so much YouTube content, like it's 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 odd that that something like that isn't on. But again, like TV isn't the cultural. Uh, touch point that it was no back in the true. 1990s anyways so it's not like that we're really missing out by not having much music it was hot when I mean, it needed are, to be hot if you do get like cable packages like through telus or shaw even for, from here there are specialty channel options now where you could you know you're just actually i think they just come with your cable package where you can watch um like non-stop music videos and they're sectioned off into genre mm. oh um, okay it's so, kind of like yeah, those stingray I, channels or whatever right yeah. pretty much yeah kind of like the stingray but they're actually with with full-on music videos wow that's cool so, yeah it, it is it is kind of a weird era of like cable television that we're in where it's like not as i guess relevant anymore um, to do that, but hey, you know if it ever, you know, comes back to doing that, you know who'll host it? Tarzan Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Dan, Dan Freeman oh is a radio God. jock these days, and uh, I'm sure if you'll ever meet him in person, he'll probably go like, "Hey, remember when I did Hit List?" <laughs> Ed Ed the Sock is doing overnight radio right now. Is he really? Yeah. yeah. Well, and so okay, another thing too Tom? is that Ed the Sock. So Steve Kersner, um, who is Ed the Sock, yeah. uh, doesn't didn't really support this two ninety nine Queen Street. He has nothing to do with this. He's not in the documentary. He no. did appear as you know. So they they said you know speaker's corner, but it was just a video of him. Um, during the intermittent interactive, as one of the questions. Oh, so now that this thing is done and is amazing, and and all his old colleagues are getting a ton of love and going oh, hard on to tour say if that's the reason. He's like, yeah. ah, well, yeah, no, get on, get on. <laughs> so this, the thing is, hey, too, uh, a couple of years ago, <laughs> a couple of years ago, he was working on his own kind of like music mm-hmm. channel on social media. Right. I forget what he called it. It, it yeah, it, sort of it had an interesting name because he ran out of budget. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. Right around the same time, Much Music launched a very similar thing. That's and right. And so he was kind of in a beef with with Much Music uh, from a few yeah. years back. This might have even been like early last year right. that that all happened. Yeah, that's it feels um, fairly recent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's for a, a lot of reasons, something like Much Music can't happen in today's media landscape. Uh, yeah. As a TV channel, even as an online thing, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. 
Um, I, yeah, like the the art of music videos is so different. Um, even like, so in my subscription to Apple Music, and I'm sure it's like this for Spotify too, but because I listen so much to Apple Music on my TV, on right. the Apple TV, right, right. Um, their built-in is like, uh, you want to listen to the song or you want to watch the music video? It's like, you can do that, right? Gotcha. And it's just there, yeah. and for a lot of times... Janelle Monet. It's very <laughs> good to watch the music video and have that on in the house as you know, just like as a background thing while you're watching sure, TV sure. or you're doing something else, listening to music, or as a foreground thing, Janelle Monet. Um, okay. I'm, so yeah. <laughs> Brian's nodding. I'm agreeing. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> that Janelle Monet album, that whole album is so fucking good. So, anyways, um, but but so so there's that. But what the real tragedy here is the real loss. I feel like is not a channel or anything that just continuously has music videos on. But it's the journalism that happened. The music yeah. oh. centric, the yeah. discussion. It was the culture def- stuff. It was right? definitely about what happened in between the songs. Most definitely. yes, and much because when MTV came to Canada and really made a go of it, there was a time there, and, and it's so funny. Like their benchmark shows were on MTV were like uh, uh, it was like One Girl and Five Gays do you remember that where they would just like talk about like sex and culture stuff cool no. and there was like all these um, reality show after shows you know yeah where, that's you know, right I remember some of those right yeah. like that Darren guy and uh, Jesse Cruikshank or whoever would all sit on a couch and just like talk about TV shows and shit and whatever was going on in the culture news and, and so that you know interesting interesting but much music Again, like to have, they had their kind of like, talk like very pretty talking heads, you know, that didn't have too much to say. They were kind of just like bubbly, cute, nice personalities. Are you talking about the VJs? Yeah, later it got that way. Oh, later, yes, yes, I agree. Yeah, right. That's kind of when they went. We're going more head to head with yes with MTV, and when it became less important for it to be about the music, but. You know, when it was important about the music, you did have guys like John Strombolopoulos. Totally. Right. Mm-hmm. Who were doing um, really important kind of music journalism. Journalism, and, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and those discussions had a bit more of a weight to them. And, and again, there's really nothing like that. Um, nothing as culturally significant, nothing as central to our country, certainly, but I don't know anything in the States right now either. Because... Because, like, much music, as much as I'm sure they were a takeoff on MTV in their glory days, they never really, not really, didn't do the, like, the Total Request Live, or I guess that was... They did much on demand, which was before Total Request Live. No shit. Yeah. Oh, wow. And that was kind of a similar show, too, I guess, right? Basically a request show, yeah. uh, Yeah, yeah, because it was a kind of daily show in the afternoon, and you get home from school and watch it, and all the, like, big performances when they would roll through Toronto, they would be on that show, right? That's kind of how that was, yeah. yeah. Anyways, so that's the real loss. All the stuff that happened between the music videos. And um, the, yeah, the thing is, today you could never get something like that. Our attention spans are far too fragmented. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll never have anything like this again, I believe. Yeah, it's kind of too bad. I mean, yeah. it's it, it's kind of what we sort of kind of do on the radio. And thank God that there is a financial model that still just barely makes sense there. It's the last bastion of this kind of thing. Of that kind of thing, right? Yeah. And that's really what they did in, in a, such a powerful way was they kind of brought that uh, to TV. And um, and again, it was a national thing instead of kind of regionally or, or uh, by city like radio does. Yeah. yeah. I hope against hope that all the lawyers will be able to figure this out and we'll get to see this because I, I want everybody to see this. I think I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. Coming soon.
Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is coming to Disney Plus on December 1st, which will be, I guess, Friday as you hear this. I got a, an email, and so we just we just link on the, in the show notes, we just link to the Disney Plus page where you could watch it if it's after December 1st. That's all. Uh, great. <laughs> uh, I, I would say that if you didn't see it by now, you're not really missing out on anything. It's, it's not that good. And, uh, was it better than Crystal Skull? I don't know. I don't, I don't actually can't really tell you one way or the other, actually, if it was better or worse than that other movie. Okay. I think there's two distinctive Indiana Jones eras. Phases, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what? They might as well make another one now and just split it right in half. Oh, no. <laughs> three good, three bad. Yeah. There you go. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. I know, I know Kristen kind of was just happy to be there hanging out with her old pal Indy, but um, <laughs> Brian, did you ever see this thing? I didn't, no. So wow. I might see it on Friday. We'll see. That's amazing for you. Like, movies are a thing for you, but... I know. The thing is, see, I, I would probably be a little bit more on the ball with this if my kids were very much into Indiana Jones, but I remember showing them a little too early. Ah, uh, yes. And that's where sure. you get, you know, like, I, I think we ended up turning it off at Alfred Molina and the Spikes. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Fair, 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 fair. Yeah. I, yeah, I got to actually give it up to my dad. I, he obviously loved Indiana Jones. I think he saw it in the theater, right? Raiders when it first came out. And he... Like, I think he just was like, wait for it, wait for it. Like Indy in the, <laughs> trying to get yeah. the idol. He showed it to me at exactly the perfect time that I was like. Oh, that's good. I was shook by it. You know, yeah, obviously the Alfred Miller. I think I had to close my eyes for the ending of Raiders. Oh, <laughs> yeah. my God. That was nightmare. I didn't see that coming, and I had nightmares aplenty about that. Yeah, the face melting. I think I had to uh, yeah. cover my eyes yeah. uh, on, you know, that was directive. But <gasps> so, so uh, it hit me at just exactly the right time, and I loved it. Nice. Next up, Portal colon Revolution. Now, Portal is an amazing game. It's very simple. You are a chell. You are this person. You're wearing moon boots. It's kind of neat. <laughs> you're stuck in this testing facility with a psychopathic robot uh, who is putting you through all sorts of tests. And ultimately, you end up with a Portal gun, which can shoot two beams, one is blue, one is orange, you put them against flat surfaces and you can walk through the blue and come out the orange or vice versa. Right. And the way that you move through the game is you just you just escape the game. You you set off traps. It's a very, very puzzly game. There's been Portal. There's been Portal 2. They recently repackaged them into one game mm. with a bunch of bonus material. Oh. Very fun. Very cool game. It's an early, early Valve software game. They're famous for it. It really put them on the map. This is a fan-made mod for Portal 2 that takes place in between Portal and Portal 2, uh. and it will be free-to-play on January 5th, and Valve Steam is obviously okay with it because it's going to be on Steam. Wow. So I'm oh, cool. totally going to play this because Portal content is great. It's, it's very funny, it's very irreverent, and I would hope especially if it's something that Steam approves that it's good enough to carry the Portal name. 
Yeah, it looks like a fun game. I always have seen it and been like, yeah, I bet that's fun. I, it's like a very specific type of puzzler. It's very fun. Right, where you just try and get through stuff. That's really neat. Um, okay, where on your playlist is this, bud? Is this before or, or is this higher or lower than Mario Wonder? Oh, probably about 17th on the on the list. It's a big it's a big list. I'm trying to move Wonder up, yeah. Yeah, trying to move, yeah, yeah. We're all, we all have played Super Mario Wonder now except for you and you are, are a Mario fan going back. Yeah, that's so weird, honestly, now that I think about it. Oh, my God. Right? We're all just Oh, my like, God. We just want to play with you, bud. <laughs> you play all these video games. We all play one. And I am a rhythm game guy, so it, the, I suppose the pressure's on about Fluff Puck, Puff Peaks special to the beat, whatever the thing is called, so. Uh, we should give Kirsten uh, shout-outs because right. she, she apparently beat it and didn't think it was that hard. Yeah, that's wild. She right. didn't make too big Did of a deal out of it. Wait, did she beat Fluff Puff Peaks, or did she beat the part before that that wasn't, you never lose a life? Yeah, I think that's that's the one she played. It took her like 15 tries, I think she said. Right. And then she's like, that wasn't that hard. I beat it in 15 tries. And then and then she got to Fluff Puffs. She died three times, and she was like, fuck this, and, and moved on. But then I think she said she went back to it, and she beat it like a no problem. Oof. Okay. Mm. Good All right, for her. Then. Have you wow. beat it yet, Brian? Have you beat fl- fl- Fluff Puffs? I well, I took a break. Remember, I, yeah. I I went to different levels, and then I took a real big break because I got Spider Man Two Spider-Man on PS Five, yeah. and I'll talk about that in R and R. Okay, so I still haven't beat Fluff Puff Peaks Challenge to the Beat Special Special World. That's what it was, man. So, Bud, now it's it's up to between you two. Okay, the race is on. The race is on. Who will beat it first? Okay. Good luck. Uh, speaking of Spider-Man, no, though not the game, Ultimate Spider-Man, Paul put this in, it's a trailer for the next comic run, which is a very cool idea. So Jonathan, Jonathan Hickman is writing, Marco Cicchetto is uh, authoring, or sorry, illustrating, and yeah, what did you say? We I think we see Aunt May's name on the big slab full of names that uh, were people from 9-11. So, that's what it looked like. It could, I mean, that's a... A pretty classic memorial style thing to do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So who knows? Maybe she fought in World War II. And or an alternate universe, 9 11. Who knows? Or, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, um, this takes place. So this is almost kind of. Um it's a new take on the Spider-Man. I don't know if it's on the Spider-Man origin story or just on a Spider-Man story in general. Um, but it's 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 it takes place within the new Ultimate Universe, and it ha- and this happens in that timeline after this event, like this four comic arc called like known as ultimate invasion so possibly may died from that or she mm. was like a casualty of that oh interesting um and that was like but, a big big like multi-casualty horrible event that they would have put up like a memorial with a bunch of names on it yeah yeah this and this takes place in like earth was it like earth 1610 or something oh okay. wow okay 16, yeah it's a different yeah no stakes so a different t- no stakes timeline and all kind of stuff so yeah anyways the but it's, it's comics good. like comics yeah. was the original ones to do that that kind of stuff but like i like these because the comic trailer and just kind of like how i like you know and probably what i'm going to be saying about like the spider-man 2 video game mm. is like i like now that i you know you when you're familiar with all these characters and you know all these people that that you know that pop up in say like a Spider-Man story or or any sort of uh, like um, comic book story. It is kind of cool to see them in different situations and see how they react to certain things, which is why we probably like you know a what if right and right. sort of an right. introduction to that is to see oh what would they how would they react if such and such a thing happened right yeah um, which I, is why I think yeah this will be a very interesting read. 
I know. The more I think about what if, the more I in, enjoy it, because mm. I just would love the sacred timeline to, <laughs> you know, to, to be like more straightforward and just tell the stories of those characters in a kind of a more simple way, and then yeah, and then go ahead and just get absolutely wacky with what if. Like that's also fun, but just make sure that it, we know it. Nothing really matters there. It's just no. for fun. Yeah, it's all just character stories and situational, like, yeah. yeah. So, so that's that's kind of how I see these comics. Whenever I see a, a, a different comic uh, arc that takes place in a different Earth or a different universe or mm-hmm. whatever, a different version of these characters, uh, I always find those very interesting. Yeah, and this one we get to meet the Parkers, full family, and yeah. the Goblin will uh, be our, our antagonist. Cool. Very interesting. Go hard. Go hard. Jackie Chan and Ralph Macchio will be in the next Karate Kid movie, and they are looking for the Karate Kid. Oh, I love that. So, okay, we have, as a little inside baseball, we're, we've got two cue sheets. <laughs> yeah. And I was doing one exactly the same time that Bud did one, and then he submitted his first, and then I, 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 at the same time that I told Bud that I'm working on a cue sheet, He's like, just keep working on yours and, and we'll do dueling cue sheets. And when I looked at both the cue sheets, I thought, oh, very interesting. Because I put some things in coming soon that you put in Geek News proper. So you're kind of merging them right now, which I respect. I'm exactly merging them right now. Here's the thing. I generally only put trail. Bud! Not me! Bud. Not me! <laughs> I generally only put trailers proper in coming soon. But looking at your cue sheet, I love how you've done this. There are a couple articles. There are a couple not trailers. So I'm going with yours uh, oh, midway through. But so it's it, uh, going to be kind of confusing. I'm sorry for you if you use, Paul, if you use any of the cue sheets. I know. Which cue sheet am I using? I got two. I'm bouncing back and forth. Anyways, I'm not going to read anymore. Okay. What are we talking about here? Jackie Chan? Okay. Yeah. Ralph Macchio. Oh, so weirdly, <laughs> weirdly last week, like before oh, this. Oh, so okay, weird. What happened here, Brian? Because I came into <laughs> our like jock meeting, our all host meeting, kind of like I was a bit dazed, you know, I was all kind of not coffee yet and uh, came in and, but, but that was the day that Lambo had just started hosting the morning show by himself with Brian helping, yeah. right? And uh, so, and he was like red hot. It's like, what's you, it's so funny. Like when you do a morning show like that, you still kind of are riding the adrenaline wave of the show for a bit yeah. afterwards, which is when our meeting ends. Yeah. So I'm like, what? <laughs> I just come into, I'm getting peppered all of a sudden by Jason Lamb. It's just like, what do you look like crazy? What are you doing with those sunglasses? Or whatever. He was like, just like a fire hydrant was opened of insults and jokes and at me, Jason Lamb. So, and then he started calling me Ralph Macchio, and I was just like, "Yeah, what? yeah." You look a bit like Ralph Macchio what? today. You look he like Ralph Macchio. I was like, "Do I, Crowley? <laughs> I didn't know, and I couldn't in my mind even think of what that guy even looks like. So I had no comeback. I was just like, "Okay." Um, so, and then you said something too, Brian. Well, so no, so it was so funny how that happened because none, I did not see this article come up beforehand. Lambo didn't either. No. We just got into a discussion about the Karate Kid at that point because he said that you look like Ralph Macchio. Yeah. And then everybody was like, oh, well, I can kind of see it. And then Emily goes, I know you guys are going to hate me, but who's Ralph Macchio? <laughs> <laughs> And then Lambo went off. He's like, you've never heard of the Karate Kid? Oh, yeah. So I started to like troll Lambo and wanted to be like, oh, you mean the one with Jackie Chan? <laughs> <laughs> and lo and behold, you, the very and next then, week. 
Exactly. Well, not even the, like I I, the day. very yeah, next that's right. hour. Yes. Yeah. When yes. this came out. Yeah, I know. And then I finally saw modern day Ralph Macchio, and I was like, oh, well, he's actually a pretty good looking guy. So. You haven't watched any of the Cobra Kai? No, I never watched any Ralph of Ralph Macchio has aged right. amazingly. Yeah, so I'm definitely yeah. somewhere in between Ralph Macchio and Quint from Jaws, but... <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, if I worked hard, maybe I could get up to Ralph Matthew. I'm definitely closer to Quint, unfortunately. Yeah, so they're talking about looking for the next uh, actual person to play the Karate Kid, a character by the name of Lee Fong, I think, who they're looking for. And so we link to the announcement video. There's an article, the announcement video, and what I call, in quotes, the casting website, which is amazing. It's KarateKidCasting.com, which is just a forwarder to an official Sony site, which is literally, this is very inside baseball again, a gigantic graphic of text that no matter where you click on it, it just links to an email address. Oh. That is not a website. That is lazy. Don't do that. Uh, it's not even loading mm. for me on the screen right now to yell no, more about not, it. But yeah. Anyways, if you think you're the next Karate Kid, you can follow so, the so what's okay, going yeah, on? So this is going to tie in because one, Cobra Kai is a freaking phenomenal bod. Not me! Sorry. Uh, Cobra Kai is a freaking phenomenal uh, series. Yeah. Shouldn't be as good as it is, but it, no, it really is. It's so amazing. is this, that's what I'm asking. Like, is this like a marriage between that Jackie Chan movie and, Kara- and so, uh, Cobra yeah. Kai? Cobra Kai, the, I guess the events of the next season of Cobra Kai are probably going to lead into this movie. Um, the thing is, Will Smith produced a version of The Karate Kid. Mm-hmm. Um this was with his son, starring his son, Jaden Smith. I don't remember what year that came out. I wanted to also then know, Bud, as somebody who, like, is very much into the proper naming of certain martial arts or, like, you get upset when we say nunchucks and not <laughs> nunchaku. <laughs> not very upset. We're, I do get my eyebrow furrows, certainly. When Jackie Chan starred in a movie called The Karate Kid... Teaching a kid kung fu. <laughs> were you? Did you blow your lid? <laughs> In that respect, I kind of did. Kung fu is a Chinese martial art. Karate is a Japanese martial art. They're art. different. So they they still <sighs> called it the Karate Kid, not the Kung Fu Kid, because they wanted to capitalize on the name. Name recognition, hundred really. percent. They should have called it the Kung Fu Kid. That's a, just a, as good a name. Yes, it yeah. is. And then you, you get yeah. something kind of different. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So yeah, I never thought in a million years that this would happen, and I think even Ralph Macchio too was asked when Cobra Kai was starting to hit its stride. Mm. Ralph Macchio was asked, "Would Jackie Chan ever appear in this?" And he had said in an interview, "Is like, well, those are kind of two separate, yes, they almost are. like two separate worlds." Yes, right? yeah. Um, I won't say Star Wars so. or Star Trek, but I mean, yeah. And yeah, so like I do remember, yeah, Ralph Macchio saying that, and so. In this video, and maybe it's just their delivery, but Ralph Macchio doesn't look that stoked. No, no, no he really does. <laughs> Jackie Chan looks like the more excited person. No, definitely, Ralph is. like, yeah, we're doing this. Want to be a Karate Kid? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty accurate. Definitely. Oh, Sometimes that's, I need to. Now that's me. But but that's me. What are you like playing porn while we're? It's a, 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 it's a Grammarly ad, and B, I was going to put on the casting search video in the background for Paul so we could see it, and I tried to mute before it came up, and I I was too slow. I'm not going to look at it. 
quit quit futzing around over there. <laughs> I'm gonna take that computer away from you. But look at this guy. Doesn't yeah. he look great? He looks great. Yeah. Oh my! I wish I looked like that. He's got a well manicured beard. Let's see his haircut though. It's and a little dated. It's a little swoopy haircut. That's that's him covering for a receding hairline, which thankfully at this point I don't have. So um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Ralph <laughs> He's a great looking guy. How old is he too? He's got to be what close to fifty years old. Uh, or maybe he's not that old actually, right? He's, he was a kid when that Karate Kid movie came out. Yeah, but I mean, he's karate, he's time, karate middle time man, marches now. on. He's uh, sixty two. Holy, holy smokes. smokes! That's what he looks like at sixty. He's ageless like you, bud. Okay, that is kind of incredible. Oh yeah, he was born God. in nineteen sixty one. And if you've seen Cobra Kai, he's doing the moves. This is amazing. Oh, yeah. oh, oh my God, that is incredible. Whoa. I would love to visit the unicorn farm where he farms unicorns <laughs> to drink their blood. Just stay young. Clearly, that's oh amazing. My God, that yeah, is. Wow. All right. Hoof. All right. Hoof. <laughs> yeah. Hoof. Indeed. Big hoof. <laughs> Spinal Tap. Spinal Tap is coming back. They're filming a sequel in February, and they uh, have announced that Elton John and Paul McCartney will be in the movie, along with the original band, or actors. Great. Yeah. That's huge, nice. right? That's wonderful. Um, and those are... Okay, now, here's always... This is the question, always, actually. The original Spinal Tap... No, I'm sorry. Now... I can hear Jason Lamb is going to march down the hall and scream at me right now, but I've never actually watched in full the movie Spinal Tap. You guys are making me. Jason doesn't have a voice right now. Yeah, no kidding. He can't yell at you. He can point accusingly. Yeah, and yeah. I, and I do, you guys, you guys both seen it, obviously, right? It's a great movie. Here's the thing. Once, long yeah. time ago, yeah, not okay. sure how much I remember. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I so all my Spinal Tap knowledge is from that one episode of The Simpsons where they're on. <laughs> Yes. Which is a of great episode. They're terrific. That was a really, actually, a really cool comedy crossover moment, actually, yeah. that I never really fully appreciated when I was a kid and saw that. But that's really cool. So, um, now, in the original Spinal Tab, you guys can tell me this. Did they have big guest stars like that? Were there cameos from huge names or even semi-big names? Or even kind of, was there anyone from outside of that, you know, Catherine O'Hara style, Eugene Levy, SCTV, um, you know, uh, 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 what's his name? Guess? The Guessiverse? The Guessiverse? Are you talking about Christopher Guest? Christopher Guest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Christopher makes- Guest, Michael McKeon, and Harry Shearer were the original, like, band lineup Spinal Tap. Right, and there's, like, a Guestiverse, right, with it's all those those comedy movies, like A Mighty Wind and The Dog Show one and all that. Probably genre. involves Rob Reiner, too. Y- yes, yeah. yes. So, so... But were there, but apart from those, those like, you know, that regular gang of characters, were there big name guest stars in the original Spinal Tab? Not that I recall because it was not that kind of show. It was more right. about the band and just yeah. being the documentary about the band. Uh, yeah, Fran Drescher was in the movie, but I mean, Fran Drescher wasn't like the huge name Drescher, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So there we go. Don't put Paul McCartney in this then. <laughs> like, but how else will you draw me. in a different audience? Hmm. It is strange because it's not a different audience. It's kind of the same audience, honestly. That's the same audience, yeah. And I mean, I guess it's exciting, but it just when you get huge establishment names, okay, in what originally the Spinal Tap movie felt like a little bit kind of counterculture and a little bit like uh, punk rock, yeah, movie, right, hundred percent. Okay, 
But then it became a meme and mainstream and... Yeah, this is what I mean, and it's the exact same thing with The Simpsons. The Simpsons was satire of popular culture. Fair. As yeah. soon as they start getting big guest stars, as soon as Lady Gaga, who's as mainstream as you can get, is doing a voice on The Simpsons playing herself, and it's all just like, you know, very flattering to her and whatever, it loses all edge. It yeah. loses yeah. like again, Spinal Tap was satire of rock music. Yeah. So you can't put The Godfather's the absolute like pinnacle of the mainstream of that genre in your movie if you're supposed to be satirizing exactly what they do. I don't know. To me, it's not great. There should be excitement about, you know, to be to be announcing that these two massive names are going to be in your movie. That should get you stoked. Mm, doesn't move the needle for me. In fact, it moves it in the wrong way, maybe. Like, I really liked Elton John starring in that uh, Kingsman uh, what was the Kingsman sequel? Yes. I thought he was hilarious in that, but it was because he was a contrast to everything else that was happening. Yes. Uh, this feels to me, Paul McCartney, Elton John, Spinal Tap, like they're all sort of the same Brotherhood gang era. And especially if Spinal Tap is like supposed to be the band yeah. that they're documenting, um, he's sort of at that same level with those two guys. So, uh, yeah. Not sure well, would it be different than if Paul McCartney and Elton John were like playing not themselves they're different in like playing characters honestly i would love that i would love you have that. like in in the other you got like what billy crystal was in this but obviously playing a character yes. right yeah. Yeah. right like, yeah yeah paul schaefer was even playing a character but again this is a sort yeah, of early Those, times right this is before yeah. they were paul schaefer and billy crystal right so and they come from comedy worlds yeah both right. of them yeah. too right like paul schaefer is like a perfect kind of in between between music and comedy um yeah i, I don't no, even then, you know, it's like big big shows do that too. Big shows also mm. do they try and cast these big names as different characters and guess what? Paul McCartney is not an actor either. So and he's not a comedic he's Paul McCartney. He's Paul McCartney. Yeah. 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 Right? I mean, and Elton about- John, Elton John, Elton John did a pretty good job, but he's still Elton John. Yeah. Mm. I think about Paul McCartney's cameo in Pirates of the Caribbean 5, I what? think. What? You didn't know that? I know. I haven't seen that one. Yeah. It's a shame because Whoa. obviously what they're doing, that you know, it's like for Pirates 3, um, uh, Keith, Keith, Richards, Keith Richards showed up. That's who he was modeling. Oh, of course. Yeah, it makes sense. That makes sense. Johnny Depp yeah. was, yeah, that's right, modeling Keith Richards. So it made yeah. sense that he was played as dad as a cameo. That's cute. fun and cute. Yeah. To, for then in five, like, hey, we need another old rock star to be a pirate. Who do we get? Yeah. I know who's completely unrelated but is a big name. <laughs> Dress Paul McCartney up as a pirate and put him in jail for no reason. Very strange. Oh, it's it's bad. Very strange. All right, well, we'll see how that goes, possibly badly. We got our first look, again, from Vanity Fair. They do a lot of these early coverage things of Fallout. This will be the... New TV series coming April 12th based on the very popular Bethesda Softworks video game helmed by Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy of Westworld. These are all great things on my list so far. It's coming on Prime Video. So I'm not sure what to think. Visually, it looks okay. Yeah. You know, it's... it's it's. Well, that's always the thing that you, you'd be concerned about if it was coming out on Prime Video is the visuals, like... Is this going to look okay? Yeah, these, these these are still photos, though. What I'm saying is they've got the yeah. costume and the environment, you know, pretty pretty nailed, dialed in. But, uh, yeah, how it's going to play, how it's going to work as a series. It's a first-person shooter, post-apocalyptic. You're making your way out of a vault. There's monsters. 
Uh, well, you know, I'm not sure how that is going to be a series, but uh, they've they're confident enough to bring in these brilliant f- filmmakers, media makers, Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy. So, yeah, we'll have to see how it goes. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I always, again, it's one of those games where I've seen it looked fun to me. I like the 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 kind of premise in the world. I'm never going to sit down and play 10,000 hours of this game, <laughs> you know. But yep, yep. Yeah, make a make a TV show of it. It's exactly with the same as The Last of Us. And I wonder too if the success of The Last of Us, uh, in some ways, led to this. I would hasten to think so. Like I'm sure they were all these video games are you know in talks or whatever. But yeah, I'll bet The Last of Us sort of pushed that forward. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? It's the difference between. <laughs> It's like The Last of Us is a great story, and that's why it translated well. What do they hear? Let's make more video game TV shows, right? Barbie was an incredible comment on society. Yes. What does Mattel hear? Make more movies about toys. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not quite the, you know, that's, I, yeah. 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 But the toys could say something about society. Sure. These Hot Wheels have got something to say. <laughs> Don't they all? Oh, my God. No, no. Geek News Proper. What? 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 You missed some other thing? Wrong cue sheet. What the? So are we not Follow doing Brian's these? Follow Brian's cue sheet. Brian's is this one? Yeah. With the bigger just, writing? Let me take the, yeah, it's the one with bigger writing. I'm going to take mine away. But there's I'll things see. on there. But yeah, I know. I, no. Oh, I see. There we go. Just oh. keep going to use proper. Proper? Yeah. Okay. Got it. Daryl Hall has gotten a restraining order against John Oates in somewhat of a weirdly secretive legal thing. We're not... We only know little snippets and details of why this is going on. But, I mean, this is hauling oats. But they're, yeah, not doing all that well right now, it would seem. <laughs> oh, I can't oh, go I for that. No can do. Ah! Uh, damn it! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> my sorry, God. Give no. me to that. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's I'm easy. so out of touch. <laughs> wow. So I'm in the room. That's, that's not fair. That's pretty oh. great. That's pretty great. <laughs> um... That's hilarious. It's so sad. Yeah. There's no two names that are more well established as being next to each other than Hall and Oates. Salt and Peppa, <laughs> who are also maybe not the friendliest of terms oh. right now. <laughs> That's a shame. Yep, it really is. Salt and Peppa actually just recently did a thing with Will Smith, like a oh a um an interview. Was oh. it was it, it was reco- like on like the was it recorded before or after Rifflandia? <laughs> No, I think this was after Riflandia. Okay, okay. But um, it was on like the 50-year anniversary of hip-hop. Oh, oh sure, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Are they, uh, was it like a wet red tabletop? <laughs> no, not that. <laughs> I think that uh, red table's not coming back anytime soon. Deal, pinked is peeled. Oh, that one, uh. right. <laughs> so Mrs. Doubtfire apparently had two million feet of film because Robin Williams would not stop improvising his dialogue, which is hilarious and such a Robin Williams thing. And the director, Christopher Columbus, ponders, you know, maybe there should be a documentary with some of those two million feet of film, which I would love to see. That would be very cool, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. I think we've screamed before on this very podcast, release the Williams cut, you cowards. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, two million is a f- very fun and round number to, to say, but what does that equate to in time? Great question. That's, no idea. Right? Like, yeah. What would this documentary look like? And I, I don't know if I need too much of a documentary. If I just want to sit down with a bucket of popcorn and watch Robin Williams improvise as Mrs. Doubtfire oh for two God. million feet. Yes. However yeah. long that is, right? Like, cut it up, make it... Like, like just boop, 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 or whatever you got to do to just make it watchable. Um, but I want to see it. I just want to see it all. How many minutes? How many minutes of film is oh. two million feet? He's googling. I don't know if Google will. Uh, oh, film, film footage, footage calculator? calculator. Are you kidding me? Okay, oh. let's find out. Uh, feet two million. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, Looks like 925 hours. That can't be right. Oh, my God. Really? 925 hours? Well, maybe it's 35 millimeter film, actually. Let's find out. Oh, okay. That's an option on the film footage calculator? Yes, it is. Everyone, go and have a fun day messing around with the film footage calculator. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) See how how much your height could make on film. 300. It's like... A thing that like movie directors do instead of just going on Google Earth to look at their backyards. Film <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, <Right>? footage calculator. <laughs> 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 yeah, at 35 millimeter film, it'd be 370 hours and 22 minutes of uh, footage. Holy even smokes. that seems like, like a lot of improvising. That is a lot. It just does not seem very real. I'm not sure what that is. But yeah, maybe. well, you know what? Maybe it's the film footage calculator that's flawed or, or uncalibrated or something. There you go. Maybe. Could okay. Be. Still. This is older news, but sort of came back around the uh, Palestine uh, and Israel conflict is that Mark Hamill has voiced Ukrainian air raid alerts as Luke Skywalker. Weird. Because his voice... Is a comfort. They're still in English, though. It's a comfort. It's fascinating. It's a a very interesting thing that they did. Um, Kudos to them for doing it. I wonder if and how well it worked. But that's a very weird story. Isn't it? Yeah. 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 I know. I was waiting for, like, the other thing, the other headline to be, like, he also voiced for the Russian side, but as the Joker or something. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Come on, you troops, get in there! Ah! Oh boy! Yikes! <laughs> Yikes! Indeed. Um, yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, it's like it, it almost trivializes these things that are meant to save people's lives. But well, it, but I suppose yeah, if it's and not that's like, why I find it's if it's not a so dire weird. emergency, they just need to. Um, I don't know. Relay some message that's not like, you know. And people oh had God. to approve this. People along the chain of an of emergency course. alert service had to you know, go for this. So, I mean, obviously they thought it was the right idea. I, I like, you know, when you said that it was because his voice is um, comforting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I suppose I suppose that helps a little bit, I, you know, with my feeling about this. But, uh, and, you know, obviously bless him for wanting to help out in a very difficult situation for so sure, many people. Sure. You know, lending his, his name and his voice and his support to those people, but... That's an odd one. Tim Burton, and bless him for it, says that the Nightmare Before Christmas is too important and personal for a sequel or reboot. He says, it's nice that people are maybe interested, but I'm not. Yay! That is a beautiful piece of filmmaking. Please leave it alone. Yeah. 
Yeah, because yeah, also wasn't he not super stoked with um, WB bringing back like the Keaton Batman and stuff as well? That's right. That's right. I don't think that was his favorite thing to happen either. Yep. I mean, that's like, you know, to have done that without him entirely is a real slap in the face. Yeah. But I, I think even, you know, the idea of of the studio, whoever going back to him and being like, no, 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 you do it. You do it all, but do another one um, of Nightmare Before Christmas. And I think it's really great for him to use these, these words too, like important. I, I think that that's something that, we, I feel anyway, certainly is that sometimes sequels make things less good or like uh, waters down the impact of the good parts of the thing that you like. And it's okay if you only watch this thing once a year and you know what I mean? Or, or like once every few years and you only revisit it so often and, and it, it has to remain important. The risks are too great. Solo, by yeah, right. Of making another one and just having it be utter tosh. There's just so much that can go wrong. You have to do a thousand things right, and you're still not going to please everybody. If I say, if the desires there from the filmmaker to try to do something like that, I always say go. Like I, I, I even take it back to like one of my favorite comedies of all time is Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, I still watch yeah. it to this day. <laughs> Those fucking sequels are terrible. Even the so one bad. with Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels. It's maybe the worst one. They made sequels without Not. Jim Carrey and Def- Jeff Daniels? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh they did God. like a prequel and two different actors. Oh, like my God. What is this? Aladdin 2? Don't do that. Yeah. So, oh, my God. Like, those things are the worst things you'll probably ever see on a screen. But I'm still going to watch the first Dumb and Dumber over and over yeah. Again, and yeah. you're saying a bad sequel and, doesn't tarnish the original. No, I don't think it does tarnish. Okay, it. Like I say, it's like sure, it's worth a try. And like Jeff Daniels and Jim Carrey did want to come back to do that sequel. They thought it could work, didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Kudos to you guys for trying. You know, but yeah, that's that's true as well. Sometimes all you need is a Super Bowl commercial. Yes, no, very true. And please of, leave it at that. Kind yeah. of good enough, but yeah. but no, it's I, I just I appreciate the sentiment from the filmmaker that um, and clearly where his where he's at is it would it wouldn't be from him. He wouldn't do it because yeah. he he feels a similar creative spark as when he did that for the first time. And I mean, we all know Nightmare Before Christmas was a nightmare to put together. It was Ooh, so time sure. consuming, and you know, but that's what makes it so special is uh, the medium in which it's done. Oh my God, it'd be all CG these days. <laughs> yeah, or helped with that. It'd be an AI claymation. Oh, oh God, oh, awful, God, awful. Yeah, yeah. So so good for him for yeah, just just putting that sentiment out there. That without that original creative spark, it's not worth doing for any amount of money that Disney or whoever wants to back up to his house. Yay! Destin Daniel Cretton is out. Michael Waldron is in to write Avengers colon the Kang Dynasty. And if you're saying, oh, to Michael Waldron, (laughs) well, he's the guy who created the Loki TV show and show ran season one. So we trust him. Was Destin Daniel Cretton... Writing, or was he just going to be directing? Directing, sorry. Yes, sorry. Yeah, because um, we had that in in our. Oh, sorry. I guess I guess that isn't a direct comparison. Sorry. Yeah, but yeah, but it. I think this is good um, with just because of how 
you know well done Loki was and like I was saying in our our review of it like this was the first time in a long time that I it got me thinking about the Marvel War Room where it's like oh man like all these little elements of Marvel or the Marvel Cinematic Universe were really present in this uh you know last episode of Loki yeah and they did a really good job and you you start thinking about like now I'm kind of geared up to you know see what the Kang Dynasty or Secret Wars could be Right, so it's really cool to see that he, he's going to be involved in this project. Yeah, it's a really good pedigree. Yeah, big time. Well, good. He's got quite a challenge in front of him. Oh, hugely. Yeah. You know. Okay, so so yeah, good luck to him. Howard Stern apparently uh, almost played Sam Elliott's role in A Star Is Born, which is that's an interesting thought. Mm. It is interesting. Sam Elliott has such a presence and such a voice. But Howard Stern's voice ain't no slouch. I don't know about his presence. Yeah, the voice is like, they both have booming voices, yeah. but yeah, they're very different deliveries. <laughs> yes, sure. yes, indeed. Yeah, I'm remembering uh, the Howard Stern movie Private Parts, and he's very flaily and like, you know, yeah. he's uh, calmed down considerably on the radio as well, but... Um, it would have been a very interesting because Sam Elliott is just also a great actor. I think he kind of gets pigeonholed as this, you know, big mustache, deep voice, Dodge Ram, yeah. uh, you know, the, the wise cowboy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, of the big Lebowski character. Like yeah. he is that yeah. to come to life for a lot of people. But uh, he clearly is also very, very good at what he does. Um, it would have been interesting because I think that I, oh, shit, I, I was going to just watch this clip because this came out um, when. Um, Oh, Bradley Cooper? Bradley Cooper yes. was on Stern the other day, and they talked about this. And I think the gist is that Bradley Cooper offered it to Stern or was going to. Wild. Uh, yeah, it like was first choice even maybe. And I think it just would have been very, very interesting. It would have been kind of a, a, um, a piece of stunt casting almost. Sure, yeah. And I think it really would have taken a lot of restraint and um, – on Stern's part, from not just like overacting it, and it would take it would have been a huge directorial challenge as well to coach him into into playing that part effectively because it is a pretty powerful part in the movie. And but I also remember in that movie Dave Chappelle is in it, who's not necessarily mm. known for his um, you know dramatic acting chops, and he's phenomenal in that scene in that yeah, movie. He pretty, yeah, he get, he killed it in this movie. Absolutely. So it's not impossible to do, and you know, in fact, in that same way, I do consider Chappelle a bit of a stunt cast in that movie too. So yeah, it would have been interesting. Um, who knows? In a different world, in a what if episode, Howard Stern <laughs> <Yeah>. in the <laughs> multiverse, yes, <laughs> is in a Star Is Born. File this under Zaslav. Uh, originally, Warner Brothers Discovery was uh, they, they took a whole bunch of Looney Tunes shorts out of Max. But I guess the headline now is that, no, they're not doing that. They're not taking Looney Tunes shorts out of Max. But some Adult Swim shows are still... We were going to talk about this on the radio yesterday because it, it did seem like, oh, this is a stupid backtrack. So Because yeah. what, what I originally thought it was is that uh, they like did a sent out a press release saying that, oh, Looney Tunes is going to be pulled out of Max. Um, and uh, 
<laughs> and then they released another press release the day after being like, nope, just kidding. No, that's not it. But what it is is they sent out a press release showing a list of things that are going to be pulled off of Max, and Looney Tunes was accidentally listed in within that press release. So they just oh. maybe copy and paste somewhere or whatever. So it's a bit of a nothing burger that gives Warner Brothers Discoveries as live Max uh, more press. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, lame. All right, well, let's move on. Ranker has put together a list of the most hated TV characters of all time. And in the Instagram post, which summarizes them all, uh, Cersei Lannister is number seven, but but highlighted. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, who's number one? I think it's Joffrey Baratheon? Yes, yeah. Which is, that's interesting. I don't know. What, what number, wait. Who's number eight? Was it number eight? Who was or no? Number nine? Eight, number eight was Kai, Caillou was oh, one yeah. of them, wasn't nine. it? Nine. Okay, so let, <laughs> let's let's go down the list. Number one, Jeffrey uh, Joffrey Baratheon from Game of Thrones. Uh-huh. Uh, number two, Ramsay Bolton, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, number three, Skylar White, Breaking Bad. Oh, uh, that's unfair. She was in such a difficult situation. That's misogynist. That's not fair. Brian, back me up. Bre- Breaking Bad. Skylar wasn't that bad. She was trying to do her best. Her husband, she thought her husband was cheating on her. And then she thought her husband was dealing drugs. This is awful. Yeah. She, she was right about the drugs thing, right? Did I back you up enough? <laughs> right. Do you hate yeah. Skylar White, Brian? No. It's just that I haven't really gotten past the first season. Oh, Art, <laughs> come back. Come back and back me up. Art's going to hate her. I know Art, Art hates her. Too. Number four is <laughs> Livia Soprano. This is a hard one too because it's like she's bad, but Tony's bad, right? Influence, right? Yeah, you're supposed to hate everybody in that show, but that's the uh, the dumb thing about that show is that you you cheer for Tony even though he's an awful awful person. He's a psychopath. Show of antiheroes. Yeah, so it's uh, there's a weird one for me, and the next one too, right? It's just Janice. Janice Soprano. Yeah, exactly. She's worse, weirdly. She's bad on a lot of so that she deserves actually that place on there weirdly. This is strange. Mm. From Full Metal Alchemist: Colon Brotherhood, Show Tucker. I don't know why that. <laughs> I don't know if I've watched Brotherhood. I've watched a bunch of Full Metal Alchemist, but not. I don't think that. So okay. I don't recognize that right. Yeah, Cersei Lannister at number seven. I don't know if that's really fair either. Was Cersei that bad? Again, she was in a terrible situation. She did some awful things, of course, but like, I don't know. I wasn't sitting there just hating and hating and hating her. Well, this is the list of the most hated TV characters of all time, not the most hated and nuanced and appreciated for the rest of their backstory TV characters. Okay, well, I'm just saying, if you're going to put hated, <laughs> you better... Right, pretty one-dimensional. A, you hate's know. a strong word, but okay, all right, continue. Yeah, number eight, Lori Grimes from The Walking Dead. What? Which, uh, ouch. Um, for what? I maybe the, maybe the Shane thing? I don't know. She thought uh, Rick was dead. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I, like I say, I don't know, maybe there's nuance that uh well i remember like yeah there were times when like Lori and carl were the most hated things it's like one is like Lori was just always either maybe second guessing rick or whatever mm. um and then carl was just like would never stay in the fucking house <laughs> <laughs> it's so yeah. true oh my god yeah, that's true. yeah number nine Caillou. <laughs> I just, I love that. Should be way higher on the list. I love that. He's yeah. the worst. Absolutely hate Caillou. Yeah, no, awful. Number 10, Emily Waltham from Friends. Oh, uh, was that the British Ross's lady? that British wife, yeah. Right. Oh, she almost broke and up a, Ross and Rachel. Yeah, that's right. And apparently they, <laughs> they actually wrote the, her out. Uh, I remember hearing about like either the writers or the producers wrote her out because the actress just wasn't really did she didn't have that great comedic chemistry with the the rest of the cast. 
Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. The governor from The Walking Dead is number 11. Okay, that seems like fair to me. Bash the guy's brains in, right? Like he's all. No, that's, that's, that's not that's, the governor. That was You're Negan. thinking about Negan. Oh. Negan's not on this list. Yeah. The governor was, yeah. you know, an early stage, pretty bad, bad guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I was able to take that. I was not able to take the Negan thing. That's where I dropped out of that yeah. show. Oh yeah, my that's God. right. Was the governor eating people? No. He was keeping people. He was keeping people. Or he had heads in a tank and, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, all right. And number 12, Rachel Berry from Glee. There what did go. she ever do to anybody? I don't know. She's just maybe like the nerdy, I don't know. She's like saying all key or something. Yeah, I don't <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Interesting. I feel like we could make a better list than this. And if Well, you, who would be on your list? Like who? who uh, you yeah. have a character that you really, really hate. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't hate Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you have a character that you really dislike? Yeah, I'm all for Caillou being on that list. Yeah, Caillou should be. Do you have a character that you would kick out of bed? Right. Okay. Well, let's think on it. There. Um, let me just like uh, my memory's terrible for things like this. So let me think. Maybe this is something we can revisit next week. And uh, and if you're listening right now, send an email to nope. geek.zone.butt.pod.net. Nope. No. <laughs> No. <laughs> it's slash fart. No, no. It's geek out at the zone.fm. Geek out at the zone.fm. Are you that's sure it. about that? That's, that's the email address? Enough. That's the email? Enough. Anyways, stay off of our Facebook. Stay off of there. <laughs> um, and send us, yeah, just like one or two names or anything you think about. Who who do you hate that's not on this list? Because I feel like this list is bullshit. And number one on my list is this list. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. We're on to reviews and recommendations, starting with Brian's not 91 second movie review of Spider Man 2 on the PS5. Yes, by the way, I am uh, just taking a l- couple weeks off from the 91 second movie reviews just because of my schedule. Of course. Uh, I'll get back into it. It's just that I've been sleeping early and I haven't been able to watch a lot of movies. Yeah, sure. Um, Spider Man 2 on the PS5, though, I've been playing a lot of that. Amazing. And so much so that I, within a week, I finished the main story. <gasps> Wow. Whoa. Wow. It must be so much easier to play than on a computer then. <laughs> yeah. So, like, who... Okay, was it Zoner Ewan that uh, sent in the initial... Or was it Ewan? Uh, it was Zoner Bryce, or, I think. Maybe it was Bryce. Bryce, yeah. yeah. That sent in the initial review of it. And very, very on point in terms of, like, the gameplay is so fun. Um, you know, the melee combat and everything. That's all fun. But, like, the thing I love the most is traversing the city. Amazing! Um, How cool is that? Yeah, and Kirsten was right too because, like, you know, I, I, when I played Spider, the first Spider-Man game, it was on PC, like the mouse keyboard thing, and it's not. It's definitely not as fun because you don't really, you know, all the the keys are on different places and stuff like that. It's, it's a so lot much of thinking. Held handheld controller, yeah, and the controller with like that kind of you know feedback of like the you know the. Um, the vibrations. Yeah, I guess these like are the that. dual sense. Um, yeah, amazing and new PS5 controllers. They've got like their own speakers in them, so you're what? hearing their, your sound effects right from the controller. Oh, that's so like cool! That. So all of those functions are really cool. Plus, there's this thing where it's like you can use fast travel, but I don't. I didn't. I haven't used it once that's because I, you know, I love going through the city. Just what Zoner Bryce said. Yeah, and then you could also like you 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 could use web wings. So like these web wings yep. will shoot out under the um uh the suit, so you can you can glide in the air and stuff, which is so really fun. Cool. Um, now the story is 
freaking amazing. Nice. It is so well done. And there's like, it's a video game story too. So there's so much happening. You get so many enemies popping up. You get so many side stories popping up, but they all have their payoffs. They all kind of connect one way or the other to the main storyline, which is, which is really good. And like also very impressive because some of these like side quests and stuff, you can play at different times. Yeah, you know, different points in time where you are, wherever you are in the main storyline, oh. but they'll still connect. You know, they're wow. they're written very cleverly like that. Okay. Um, but I always kind of wonder to myself, like Sony can get like all these people at Insomniac Games to write like great stories for this video game property. They can't get those same people to like write like a fucking like a Morbius or you great know, question. Web great question. Yeah, no kidding, eh? Because it really feels like these stories could very well be their own contained movie. God, you're and like right. the emotional stakes in in these stories is way more than I ever felt watching a Morbius or or any of those or even Venom. Right? See, and that's a um, studio decision. Where is this talent capture when it comes to these I movies? Mean, yeah. But Insomniac huh. Games, they're definitely on to something with, you know, with Spider-Man and stuff. And I also love, because, like, this is sort of both, like, Sp- you had Spider-Man, you had a mini version of that Spider-Man game with, like, sort of the, the spin-off Spider-Man Miles Morales. The Miles Morales, yeah. And then now this is Spider-Man 2, where you actually get to play as both characters. Huh. You get to switch back and forth between Spider-Man, or between Peter Parker and Miles Morales. I love that. Spider-Man. And they both exist in this version of New York. <sighs> so, like, people in New York just know that there are two Spider-Men. Um, and I like being in a world where Miles Morales can exist, uh, you know, where Peter Parker doesn't have to die for Miles Morales to exist. Right, right. right. And Peter Parker's kind of a little bit more like the mentor role. He's the seasoned Spider-Man that's, you know, really showing this this other Spider-Man kind of the ropes. Even though this other Spider-Man, like Miles Morales is a, is almost like overpowered. Like he's he's got a little bit more um you know, powers than than Peter does. Seems like an innate right? talent like just really fell into it nicely. Um, yeah, but then he's also got like you know the power of electricity. He's got the power to disappear, jeez, right? and all that kind of stuff. So like from, cool. From uh, into and across the Spider Verse. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, too, is that you could also get different versions of your spider suit, right? And one of the th- spider suits, or a couple of the spider suits that you get, are from the movie ah! uh, Into the Spider Verse and Across the Spider Verse. So great! And when you use those. The animation changes the frame rate, so everything else is the oh. same except for Miles in that those suits. Come on, so it feels like that's so you're good. controlling. Yeah, so it feels like you're controlling the Miles Morales from Into the Spider Verse or across the Spider Verse. Yes, it's so cool. This is one thing Sony got so right. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, you know, kudos to them, kudos to us Insomniac Games for hugely, for hugely making this. It's it's so so good, man. Paul has vanished. I don't, I'm not sure where Paul went, so we're going to uh, table his review of the curse until his return. I'm going to talk about Pluto. So this is Pluto. This is it's called Pluto colon Urasawa X Tezuka. So Naoki Urasawa. Uh, 
Urasawa is a Japanese artist and musician. He's 63 years old. He's heavily influenced by Osamu Tezuka. Osamu Tezuka was a Japanese artist, died in 1989 at the age of 60. He's known as the godfather of manga. He is considered the Japanese equivalent to Walt Disney. And he wrote and illustrated the Astro Boy manga from 1952 to 1968. In the middle of that, he published The Greatest Robot on Earth, which was a single chapter within the manga, 178 pages. That's ancient history. 35 years later, Naoki Urasawa adapts and and expands this story into eight full manga issues, totaling Mm. 65 chapters stretched from this single chapter of source material. And this thing hit like Watchmen. In manga circles, it's called a triumph of storytelling. It sold over 8.5 million copies. It won awards. They made a stage play out of it. I was aware of none of this when I sat down to watch the Netflix anime adaptation when it dropped a few weeks ago. And it took a bit to watch this because each episode is a full hour. <laughs> but I finished it. Yeah, okay. And wow, there were eight issues, so there's eight episodes. And mm. that's that's not one of the reasons I'm not positive I could recommend this to the masses because it's a lot. It's a yeah, big runtime. Yeah. The story can be complex. The pacing can be a little jarring. Mm. But if anyone decides to sink their teeth into this, I think they're going to be impressed. It when is, you, yes. Well, when you say, sorry, when you say the, the runtime, or the pacing is jarring, do you mean that sometimes it's slow and then it like rockets yes. up back yes. and forth? Right, exactly okay. that. Yeah. Exactly that. First uh, first episode, for instance, one hour and the first 30 minutes is like it's a, it's a detective murder mystery, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. And so our protagonist's name means face in German uh, and mm-hmm. I don't know how to say it in German or English, so I'm not even going to say his name. It's okay. it's like Gijisto is how they say it in the Japanese. I'm not okay. sure how it would translate. Anyways, he looks like a middle-aged detective in a suit, but he's a robot, a very advanced AI robot. And he can turn his arm into a cannon, which fires explosive shells made of zeronium, which is the same alloy as his chassis. This cannon is so powerful, he has to get permission from Europol every time he wants to fire it. That's the agency he works for. So uh-huh. he's investigating some murders of both the most powerful robots in the world and humans who were part of a fact-finding mission, which immediately preceded a war, which is referenced a lot in this series and which is likely parallel to the Iraq War, which is happening around the time the manga was being developed because the fact-finding mission in the show was trying to determine if the kingdom of Persia was in possession of robots capable of mass destruction. Sound familiar, anyone? Because in the show, they came up without any hard evidence of these robots, but the United States of Thracia still invaded Persia, and that started the 39th Central Asia War. So it's a lot. And yeah, the first Mm. half of the first episode of the show deals exactly with that. And then smack dab in the middle, oh my God, you're in a castle in the Scottish countryside. And there's this old, blind, amazing composer who gets a new butler robot. And it is literally half an hour spent on that. (laughs) It was the very strangest thing. But over this half hour, you learn about the musician and you learn about the butler robot, who is also one of the most advanced robots in the world and fought in the 39th Central Asian War, but hated it. Hated it oh. did, and wants to like go beyond his programming and wants the composer to teach him how to play piano. And just as they soften to each other, the last five minutes of that episode go absolutely crazy. And I, uh, it's yeah, it's I love a good mystery. I love this show. It's amazing. That's cool. Yeah. I, I'm so glad you're enjoying it. Now, can you just do an impression of what the butler sounds like so that I can get Mr. Butlertron out of my head? Oh, sure, I'm sure. It's <laughs> sure it's not that. Um. 
he goes by North Number Two, and he kind of sounds like this. He's a very dour sort of person. Oh, yeah. You call him person? Well, like, no, it's it's not a person. It's he's a, a robot. robot. He's about seven yeah. feet tall, and oh. he wears a cloak, and he's got very long, extendy arms that come out of this cloak, what? and he has what appears to be a human face within like a helmet kind of thing. But right at the end, he has to sort of go back to his war roots, and he takes this cloak off, and basically the entire rest of his body is a bunch of hunched in arms that fly out and they're Whoa. all guns and other weapons like we get some clips of him fighting in the war and he just levels robots other robots robots in this show cannot yeah. kill humans although there is one from eight years ago who did kill a human and they went through his ai and his ai is perfect and so he didn't malfunction huh. and so it's a lot it's a lot about this it's a lot about the 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 dynamic of robots and humans and everything and uh yeah all i can say is don't get attached to anybody in this series oh my jaw dropped multiple times at the deaths in here. Uh, anyway, recommendation. Wait, and so Astro Boy is in this thing? <laughs> Astro Boy is in this thing. Okay. Astro Boy shows up in the last 10 seconds of the first episode, oh. and then he and then he's very involved. Um, up until some point when he isn't, I won't say any more than that. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, no. It is, but it is... It's a really gripping show, and it, it, is, it is an investment in time, but it is so well done. You know, and I'm sure it's computer-driven to look like it's uh, drawn artwork. There's just a few moments where it seems very smooth. But otherwise, yeah, it's it's beautiful vistas, very faithful to the manga. Oh. And, yeah, I highly recommend it. It's on Netflix. I love vistas. <laughs> vistas are great, aren't they? <laughs> I do. I like them. Well, Paul, please tell me about The Curse. The Curse is out. And, you know, from the first time we get a little teaser or, like, a, even just a heads up or just like a... Uh, an announcement about this show. Um, I've been kind of interested because Nathan Fielder, it's so interesting. He did Nathan for You, which was brilliant in its way. Okay. And then he like exponentially showed, I think, way even more brilliance Whoa. with his next show, The Rehearsal, in like a similar reality show style like kind of a prank show like that was Nathan for you is it was like it was the 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 pranks the elaborate pranks that he built were so in so much and he could have just kept doing that and then he kind of reinvents his own wheel with the rehearsal it's similar but it's again like it's a completely different conceit and so now he takes another huge left turn huge swing where he's it's, this is a drama. He's writing and acting in um, a weird, it's like a weirdly dark, humorous drama with like a lot of things to say about society and philanthropy and influencer culture and reality TV show culture and like so much. And it's incredible to watch. I don't know if, I don't know if it's cringy. I I think there probably are some cringy moments. And oh I my think god, if, the trailer was cringy enough. Well, yeah, maybe that's it. Like I, I'm not like one of those people that's like, oh god, I can't watch Curb Your Enthusiasm. So cringy, I can't even watch it. So maybe if you're if you're kind of sensitive to that, this would be too much for you. You wouldn't like it. But to me, it's just fascinating to watch. Um, like so much happens in the first episode alone that tells you so much about these characters that so when I went to go watch it there's like three episodes dropped and that's how they did it they dropped the first three episodes oh, interesting okay yeah. and I was like is that it is that, is that going to be the, this entire show is three episodes because then I started seeing runtimes too and first episode's almost an hour the next one's like 52 
five minutes. Next one's 52 minutes. It's like, huh. oh boy, yeah, these are going to be long. Big investment. Here. Yeah, and then I looked, and it's going to be 10 episodes uh, that are going to come out one week at a time now. And I was just blown away because I'm like, they did so much in that first episode. I'm like, what more are you going to do? Right. Like, you showed me character stuff in that first episode that usually it takes a series, like a, the whole 10 episodes to get into, to, to, to get to know these characters. Like, Not me. <laughs> Don't yell at me. Close that tab. That's what we'll all start doing. Is like, Not me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... So I highly, highly recommend it. If that sounds okay to you, if you like Nathan Fielder, if you like Emma Stone, because her performance in this thing is unbelievable also, uh, and if you like just really interesting outside-of-the-box type of shows that say something about society and culture, yeah, couldn't – I don't think at this point, again, only three episodes in, I don't think I could recommend it more highly. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It's definitely, I think, so far worth the time. Um, there was a great – so – this is like up there with one, you know, like Joaquin Phoenix uh, appearing on Letterman um, and oh. uh, putting the gum under his desk and everything, mm-hmm. and like not. Nathan Fielder and Emma Stone went on Jimmy Kimmel Live, and I guess a New York Times review had come out about this show, and they weren't too f- f- either familiar with Nathan Fielder or what he does or what his vibe is. Oh. And they reviewed it that Emma Stone, of course, was a great actress, but that Nathan Fielder is all like uh, stilted and awkward and, and bad acting. Oh, and but that's the premise, though. That's the kind. The, that's the his gag. character. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's character. just how Nathan Fielder kind of always is yeah. on camera. So whether that is like an elaborate character that he just always cultivates or what, I don't know. And if this in this show he's just doing that again, but. Um, it was so he went on Jimmy Kimmel, like trying to be cool, like in this like big <laughs> trench coat and like John Lennon glasses. And oh wow! Trying to be too cool for the oh, interview wow. and everything, and yeah. it's it's that was very awkward. Emma sure. Stone plays it like really straight. It's I can't imagine. Oh no! You know Jimmy Kimmel is obviously in on the joke, but like trying to play it. Out, it's and again, it just like shows what kind of a commitment this guy has to this weird performance stuff. Sounds very Joaquin Phoenix, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I would recommend watching that as well. Um, It's on YouTube. So The Curse, yeah, highly recommend. Get it in you. And The Curse is on Showtime on Paramount Plus in Canada? Is that right? Is that how that works? Yes. Okay. I forget. It's very confusing. Yeah, I know. A year ago, I just felt like really great about my... I just paid for every streaming service and was like, whatever, it's cost of doing business. And now, like, everything's a hodgepodge. I don't know who pays for who or what account I'm on or... Like, and everything just gets, like, centralized through the Apple TV app. Sure, sure. Right? You ask that that and it just shows it to you. If you get the app, it just shows it. So you just watched it on your television. Exactly. But yes, I believe it's a Showtime program on Paramount Plus you can get in Canada. One final thing here I'll say, too, about something else is uh, I watched the first two episodes of Fargo Season 5. And Fargo's a show that I also very highly recommend. The first three seasons are some of the most incredible TV I've ever seen. The fourth season, you know, was released on TV. I think it was on FX, and it never made it to a streamer, and I've never been able to find it. Weird. Which is a shame because it looks really good, too. Chris Rock is in that. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now for season five, and of course these are our anthologies, yeah. so you don't need to have watched season four. Season five is on this the FX app, 
which I weirdly get like an auto subscription to through my cable provider. Strange. My internet provider. No way. I don't okay. know. I don't All know. Right. I, I punched in passwords and it and, worked and codes that they sent me and it's, it worked and I didn't have to pay any money. So I'm like, <laughs> fine, whatever. Good that enough. works for me. Yeah. The first two episodes of Fargo are out and it is uh, off to a roaring start and I would recommend it. Um, John Hamm is like wild in it. Uh, yeah, check it out. I remember the trailers really hooked me in. Yeah, and uh, what's her name from Ted Lasso? I forget her name. I'm so sorry because she's the star of it and she's really good as well. Uh, Juno Temple. Oh, great. Perfect. Thank you. Perfect. Perfect. You're you're welcome. I really helped there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, friends. Anything else for the pod? Kirsten. Nope. Dot James. I guess. Uh, Adard Aronson. Uh, Brian. Uh, Boytano the DJ.com. Paul. It's Paul Bastino on Instagram or send me an uh, email uh, to this web zone. Bud, how do they do that? Geek out at thezone.fm. That's it. Does Paul at thezone.fm still work? It should, yeah. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. P O L at thezone.fm. Does P A U L still work? It too, should. Just in case? It really should work. I'll have to do a <laughs> test. <laughs> great. Send me an email. Let's get back into magazines and emails, everybody. Wow. Okay, I'm twitch.tv slash webmeisterbud. This has been the Zones Geek Up Podcast, episode 267. Thank you so much for listening. Bye! The Geek Out Podcast is a production of The Zone at 91.3. The views expressed here are not necessarily those of this radio station. And really, some of those views are pretty stupid. I mean, come on. For more on-demand audio from The Zone, visit thezone.fm slash podcast or the on-demand tab of our app. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a zoner.